Welcome to Culture Crossings, a podcast for globally mobile millennials with cross-cultural identities. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Asuka. In this episode, we take a look at how we've experienced culture shock. We stroll down memory lane and remember what it was like when we first moved away from home to a new country. Many people experience culture shock when moving to a new place. For an outsider looking in, some of the nuances of culture may be difficult to decipher. Culture and social norms are highly complex human interactions and may continue to elude even those who have spent years living in their adopted home. So people experience culture shock in different ways, but how about we uh, define what is culture shock? Yeah, so I came across this article on the Simon Fraser University's website. It's on their international student advising website, and they explain what culture shock is, what are the symptoms and stages of it. And so here they say basically culture shock is a term used to describe what happens to people when they encounter unfamiliar surroundings and conditions. And just to let you know, we're going to link to all the articles that we're going to be mentioning today so that you can check it out later. And so some of the symptoms of culture shock are boredom, withdrawal, feeling isolated or helpless, sleeping a lot, irritation, suffering from body pains and aches, longing to be back home, and unduly criticizing local customs or ways of doing things. And so, as for the stages of culture shock, there are five stages. The first stage is the honeymoon stage. So this is when you're very positive, curious about your new surroundings, and you anticipate new and exciting experiences. And you might even idealize the host culture. And the second stage is irritability and hostility. And this is when you start to feel the differences between your host country and your own culture. And this is when you start to feel confused and frustrated about the different things that are going on. The third stage is gradual adjustment. And so this is where you're a bit more relaxed and you develop a more balanced, objective view of your experience. And the fourth stage is adaptation of biculturalism. So this is when you feel a new sense of belonging and sensitivity to the host culture. And I would also add is when you've integrated you know, your host culture with your own culture, so you have more of a balance that way. And then the fifth stage is re-entry shock. So this is when you go home and it's not what you expected it to be. And so with all of that said, Asuka, regarding the stages and symptoms of culture shock, do you think you went through any of these? Yeah, um, I think I went through most of them actually, except for the first honeymoon stage, because I think I might have mentioned this in earlier episodes, but before studying in Canada, I kind of read about all these cultural shock experiences that I might go through so that I'm mentally prepared. And so I think I might have actually skipped or maybe the honeymoon stage came to me more gradually as I adjusted. I think I was more ridden with sort of a sense of responsibility that I had to be independent in a new country, like I had to, you know, go through all of these alone. But that said, of course, like I did have you know, some excitement starting a new life in Canada where I lived with my Canadian host family. But how about for you? Like, what was the culture and transition when, let's say, you moved from Manila to Vancouver? 
yeah, I don't think I went through the honeymoon stage either. I think the first big culture shock that I really experienced was in the schooling. Because, so basically in the Philippines, I went to a Chinese all-girls Catholic school. And I had been in that kind of school pretty much since preschool. And so I've always been in that kind of environment. So it was super conservative. Not only was it Catholic, it was Chinese. So it was like doubly conservative. And our school was run by nuns. And even our uniforms, you know, our skirts would go down to our ankles, not even our knees, like it's down to our really? ankles. So we look like nuns, basically. <laughs> Oh, and, okay. and yeah and so it was an all-girls school so you know I had never been in a co-ed school and my sister as well so when we came to Canada my sister she was gonna go through grade 12 in Canada and for my sister as well her whole life you know that was pretty much her environment like a Chinese nuns all-girls school and so when we all went with our sister to register to public school in Canada, and we were all so shocked because it was the summer and it was still really hot at that time. And so most of the people, you know, were, wore really revealing clothing. And, we were like, <laughs> and then they had tattoos and everything. And we're like, <gasps> of course, yeah. I mean, we're okay with it now, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, back then, um, that was a huge shock. But I was in elementary school and, you know, people didn't look that way. You know, it's different. So um, I guess I had more of a milder culture shock. But still, for me, seeing that was, you know, kind of a shock. Definitely. I mean, school-wise, too, um, I guess not all culture shocks are bad, per se. For example, like, I really liked how my um, high school had a lot of extracurricular activities or even classes that's in fine arts or culinary arts or theater, which all of them I, I did and I really enjoyed, which I, you know, I guess didn't have much opportunities to do before. Yeah, but I'm curious, were you aware when you first came to Canada that what you were experiencing was culture shock? Yeah, I think partly because I had some travel experiences with my parents to see their families and friends abroad before. So I guess I was kind of familiar with certain changes in culture, like language, food, likewise. But yeah, like I think I tried to sort of see myself maybe ob objectively in that kind of stages but um I still remember like maybe my very early culture shock was when I was like six and then I think I was walking somewhere in Manhattan and I saw a person in business suit walking very fast along the path and just eating blueberries like on the go and that was something that I would never see in downtown Tokyo. So I think even those, you know, small things very much, you know, shocked me. But of course, like at that time, I didn't know all these readings or knowledge around culture shock. So I was just shocked. Yeah, I remember uh, my Japanese teacher telling us that in Japan, you don't eat while walking or something. You don't eat on the streets. I guess it's somewhat yes, but somewhat no, because... um. I suppose it changes because at events, for example, right now in summer where we would have summer festivals, there's so many shops um, along the streets where you can get grilled corn or other sweets and treats and people would just, you know, eat 
outside or even during hanami or picnics to see cherry blossoms and also teenagers you know sometimes eat you know outside of school and stuff but i guess what shocked me was professionals like in business attire eating something (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, because, uh, you know, we're always mm-hmm. in a rush, so, you know, just eat on the go, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about you? Like, did you feel, like, when you first had those cultural shocks, did you, or were you aware that these were part of that experience? I think so, yeah, because, I mean, I have heard the term culture shock before, although I never really researched it or read about it. So, yeah, I think I was aware that that was what I was going through. But yeah, and I also came across this article from an international student in Western Canada, and he was talking about his experiences of culture shock when he first came to Canada. So the article is from McLean's, which is a magazine in Canada, and the title of the article is called The Culture Shock of Western Canada. So there's a lot of things he mentioned that surprised him from food, navigating the transportation system, being able to call professors by their first name, and even the way to approach people. So when you came to Canada, what were some of the things that surprised you? There were a couple, for example, from, you know, funny stories like humongous portions of food. I mean, it's partly because I homestayed with football players. I had three host brothers, one host sister, one dog, and my host parents. And then we also had some other international students. So it was a very big household. And I kind of wanted to be in that kind of household because I grew up as an only child and I wanted to experience what's that kind of like. But yeah, food-wise, it was a huge adjustment because we, I would see huge amounts of you know, roasted meat and potatoes and pasta. Yeah. And so I often maybe missed some of the food back home. Um, and the other thing was like just transportation. So both of us lived in Port Coquitlam, which is a town um, which is maybe an hour away from downtown Vancouver and in that neighborhood I remember having to wait for a bus for like 30 minutes or more like when I wanted to go home sometimes I would get rides from my host you know parents to go to school but I just kind of miss the independence of having the mobility by taking trains anywhere when you know, I was in Japan, I was able to do so, to go anywhere, so I didn't have to depend on someone. And I just have a couple more, but like, mm-hmm. for example, politics. My host family, especially my host father, was very much into talking about politics and things, which was kind of new to me because it's not that politics aren't discussed in Japanese households uh, or society, but I think, at least when I was a teenager, I had an impression that my peers were kind of indifferent about politics, including myself at that time. I mean, prime ministers in Japan changed almost every year. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I think I was generally kind of inspired and impressed that people around my same age also had a lot of interest in politics. And I think that really sort of got me into thinking more and later it would kind of influence my interest in diplomacy and it does affect my career later. But yeah, so that was something new. And I guess also like the concept of hanging out with peers. So in Japan, for teenagers, we usually hang out outside of our homes. 
But then I noticed that、um, Canadian teenagers used to you know, get rides or drive themselves to friends' homes and you know, hang out in, in home. And then that was something new to me. And still, even the word like, hanging out, like hang out, like, it didn't click with me at first. Like, what do you hang? Like, you know,、um, word wise,、uh, it still somehow sounds unnatural to me. And finally, I, th- I think not all culture shocks are also bad because I think I was also very much inspired by the financial literacy and how finance is talked about and dealt with among teenagers.、Um, for example, My host sister or like my peers had often had part time jobs and they would, you know, save up for their car or their tuition for college. And I think oftentimes in Japan, people, some people may assume that their families will take care of their college tuition, but that's not always the case in Canada and elsewhere. And I thought that was, you know, a part of a great responsibility that comes with it to finance your own future. Yeah, so even though I think part time job was not allowed in my high school, after studying abroad or in the middle of attending high school, like when I would go back to Japan, I would you know, voluntarily do、um, summer jobs like working at restaurants. And I guess that was not too common among my peers, but I did that. And I think you, know, you can learn a lot from those. Yeah, no, that's really good. I have the, a couple of similar things with you in terms of the food, especially when.、Mm-hmm. I first came to Canada, like the McDonald's sizes were twice as big as what we had back home. Yeah, definitely the food portions for sure. And then, in terms of talking about politics as well, well, I guess in my household as well, yeah, we don't really talk politics. Although in the Philippines during election times, I think that's when people、um, just really talk about politics. And how about the things that made you feel frustrated? Maybe the fact that I couldn't eat fresh fish much. I hope I don't sound kind of like a stereotypical Japanese person, but I just personally love seafood and sushi and yeah, all things that's mostly you know, Asian. So, yeah, like my host family mostly cook typical Western food, like I mentioned before. So, yeah, I missed some of the flavors from home. And my host mother would sometimes. Get sushi,、um, the packed sushi from a sushi shop in town, and she would keep it overnight in the fridge so that I could have it for lunch next day. And I really appreciated her hospitality for doing that. But you don't put sushi in fridge overnight, like, you don't, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, usually because the rice gets really hard the next yeah, day. Yeah. And sushi in general is like meant to be eaten fresh. So,、oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, like I didn't mention that or anything. Like I was just really, really thankful. But I later really realized that having the food that I want to have or eat is very important or connected to my well being. So, yeah, I think that's a similar. Thing going into college too, when you had to adjust to cafeteria food and meal plans, dorm life. But that's, you know, I think those things are common for other students too who, you know, moved into that kind of lifestyle. How about for you? I think my frustration was more just in general, like having to move against my. Free will.、Mm. I think that was just the main frustration I had. So I think it wasn't even anything about the local Canadian culture or customs that frustrated me. 
I guess like there were times, for example, when wanting to go see the doctor, you always had to have an appointment, right? I'm not sure how it is in Japan, but in the Philippines, you can go anywhere, anytime, and people will accept you. Like you don't need to make an appointment beforehand. So if you suddenly impromptu、uh, have to go to the doctor, Like, you can just go, like, you don't have to call beforehand. So, I mean, you may have to wait a little bit depending on how many people are there, but sometimes you may not even have to wait that long. So, it can be convenient in a way. Whereas here, you have to make an appointment, and then if you don't, you have to wait. So, it, it can be inconvenient in a way. So, at first, you know, we weren't used to that. That was like an adjustment thing that we had to put up with because we're like, oh, we want to go to the doctor now. Like, why can't we go? Kind of thing. But I don't know how, how it's like in Japan if you're more of an appointment based system or, you know, you can just go whatever you want. Like, yeah, I think it's、uh, more appointment based、okay. in general, but it's a lot less. Of a hassle compared to, I guess, what's it like here in the US, for example, where now I have to deal with like insurance and appointments. But、uh, in Japan, usually, yeah, it's appointment based, but there's also、um, sort of like an emergency hospital or a part of the department in the hospital that's open for those emergency cases so that people can just like walk in if it's late at night or those、yeah. things. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny because, you know, in the beginning, I guess that was one of the things that I felt was kind of weird or restricting to me is because, like, you know, oh, if I want to do this now, like, why can't I? Why do I have to make an appointment sort of thing?、Mm-hmm. Whereas now I've totally gone the other way. Like, I schedule my things beforehand. So that I know what's gonna happen. And if something or someone suddenly pops up、uh, unexpectedly, I'm like, oh, now I have to, you know, reschedule again. And whereas in the Philippines, the way things are done, it's very, I guess, more free. Even when meeting up with friends, like you don't have to call beforehand, you can just drop by their house whenever if you like it. Oh, like, can I drop by today? If they're free, they'd be like, okay, yeah, come over.、Um, That's whereas- nice. Yeah, whereas here it's like, oh, you know, you want to meet up on this day at this time. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll put it in the schedule, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I guess in our lives, it's, things are more scheduled, like in terms of interactions with people. Like having to do anything with other people tends to be more structured and scheduled. Yeah, maybe, I guess, some kind of organic, more spontaneous things is sometimes something we may miss, actually. It's a very, I guess, Filipino culture as well. Like, you just come, it's like an open door, just come, you know, whenever you want, kind of thing. That's really neat, because、uh, I guess in Japanese households, that's less common, perhaps. I guess my family was slightly different in a way that we had people coming in because we had, you know, classes in the home and also, like, we had some friends over sometimes, but usually people tend to meet outside. Yeah. Yeah, like home is more of a private space, I suppose. Like in childhood, it's a little different. Like we go and play and hang out. But as you get older, I think that becomes a little different. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess like it's nice to have a little bit of both. Was there a time that you feel 
that you made it in the sense that you've successfully transitioned to your Canadian life? I'm not sure if there was that quote-unquote aha moment where you say like, oh yes, I successfully integrated, but I think it was more of a gradual step. For example, like making friends at high school, like doing well in classes, and I don't know, like doing a good job or presentations or essays, and somebody says, you know, good things about it. Maybe in terms of like identity, but also like language-wise, and because I did have some level of English, but still I struggled in some classes at a university or even high school before so I think when I had a more of a control over or when I felt like my language ability was coming in terms with my Japanese language ability where I could express myself more and understand others more in depth I think that's when I started to feel like okay you know I'm starting to um, have more beats on the ground and yeah like in high school there were about 1500 students and then i think i was only one of five or so international students so i think i felt maybe like this was something internal that i felt but i felt some kind of a pressure or sense of responsibility to do everything and i mean yes i had the host family and they were really friendly and supportive and i'm thankful but it is still a very different experience when you're a teenager and not having your own family in a new country. So I think my experience is both cultural like transition, but also being there, making your way through as a teenager. So I think it's a bit of both. But I think I felt more solid sort of sense of belonging when I went to UBC, like our university, where I started to meet people from similar backgrounds more. Yeah, and more autonomy, right, as like a college student. So yeah, I think that was sort of my steps. And in terms of food, this is random, but going back, like when I started to have more control over my food, like I was able to cook my own food and, you know, all of that. So yeah, that's that changed. important. Yeah. That is important. Yeah. Although, yeah, cafeteria was nice and convenient, but <laughs> how about for you, Phoebe? I think for me, I did have that aha moment because when I first came to Canada, I was always looking forward to my vacations to the Philippines. And then the moment when I was in the Philippines and I was looking forward to going back to Canada, I think that was the moment I realized that, oh, you know, maybe I've become Canadian. So I, I think that was also around my university days, my UBC days as well. So I think it was like summer vacation. I was in the Philippines and I was like, oh, you know, I want to go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I want to go back to Vancouver, yeah. And I think it's also important to realize that, you know, culture shock, it may not just be about, you know, nationality or ethnicity, but it, it's also just about your daily life as well. Because, for example, a lot of local Canadian high school students, when they first enter universities, they go through culture shock as well, right? Like, be just because it's a different kind of lifestyle than what you've been used to so i think it's kind of important to also recognize that you know it's not maybe culture shock is not always about you know having to make this huge move from one country to the other it could be local as well and so after you've already moved around a lot and experience big cultural changes. The last time you moved, which was to New York, did you experience any sort of culture shock at all? I guess in terms of, you know, North American culture, there wasn't too much of a big 
shock shock but that said i do feel there are significant differences among canadian and american culture which can be a whole another episode but i think it's mostly also because the people around you also change right and i think that includes friendships colleagues mentors like everything and you're always sort of like moving around and re-establishing those human connections and i think that's a big part of it um of course like cultural peace is huge but i think at this point where you've sort of adjusted to or became flexible with cultural changes and more sort of command over language and all that i think it's really about how do you connect with new people while you're still not uh disconnected from you know friends and people you've met before for sure i think when i went to london or you know turkey for example i think i did experience culture shock but also at the same time i think i was just better able to handle it at that point so for example the stage of irritability and hostility i think it was there but it didn't last as long and i could recognize it more i could better adjust to it more Yeah, so I think that would be the difference between the first time I experienced it versus like later times. And so that's all we have for our episode of Culture Shock, and now we'd like to recommend some books and movies about culture shock. And the first book I want to recommend, it's actually a series of books about culture shock and each book spotlights one country. So the series is called Culture Shock Guides. So it's basically kind of like a survival guide to the customs and etiquette of a certain country. And then the next book, it's called Being There: Learning to Live Cross-Culturally. and it's edited by Sarah H Davis and Melvin Connor and this book is basically stories from the field from anthropologists about their experiences with cultural differences and as for movies my first recommendation is my big fat greek wedding which was released in 2002 it's a romantic comedy about a greek american woman who falls in love with a non-greek man and struggles to get her family to accept him as she comes to terms with her cultural identity and the second one is the farewell it was released in 2019 and it's about a chinese family who discover that their grandmother has only a short while to live and decide to keep her in the dark and create a fake wedding as an excuse for the family to gather before she passes and billy the chinese american granddaughter struggles with her family's decision and coming to terms with her culture So from my end, I have two movies to recommend. The first one is English by English, produced in 2012. It's a story of one Indian woman's self-exploration to find independence and confidence. She initially doesn't have a great command over English and gets mocked by her family and others, but one day she is asked by her sister in New York to help out with the wedding. And then in New York, her life goes through a change through language schools she attends there and friends she makes there. The next one is Crazy Rich Asians, produced in 2018. It is based on the novel by Kevin Kwan, which most of you may be familiar with, and it's about a native New Yorker, Rachel Chu, and her boyfriend Nick Young, who happens to be the most eligible bachelor in Asia, going to their friend's wedding in Singapore. It's an award-winning film that shows the diversity within Asian culture as well. 
all of these movies have elements of humor mixed with human stories sprinkled around them. So we hope you'll enjoy them over the summer. Great. Thank you, Aska. And thank you for listening to Culture Crossings. This has been Phoebe and Aska. To know more about us and interact with us, please visit our website at www.2020culturecrossings.wordpress.com. We are also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And for our next episode, we're going to cover reverse culture shock, so stay tuned.